book of Leviticus. Um, again, as we look at the book of Leviticus, it really is a continuation of the book of Exodus. As it would be Moses that would bring the children of Israel out of uh, Egypt, and he would bring them to the base of Mount Sinai. And there, the Lord made his covenant with, with God's people, the children of Israel. And when they came out of Exodus, or out of Egypt in their Exodus, they really became a nation at that time. Of course, it would be the Passover that was instituted, and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread that would follow immediately. And that was really the beginning of the nation, uh, spiritually. And, and, and so the Lord would bring them out. He would, uh, his desire is to bring them into the promised land that he had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he would bring them to the mountain, made his covenant as uh, he gave them the law, but also we saw that as Moses was up on that mountain, that uh, he would give the, Moses the pattern to the tabernacle. And so the tabernacle, as we saw in the book of Exodus, has been constructed uh, and the priests with their priestly garments. And so now as we move into Leviticus, Leviticus is, is showing us um, the sacrifices that are done there at the tabernacle, the ministry that is being performed by the priests. And so as we go through this book, the first seven chapters, actually, we're looking at the different sacrifices that are being done. And then we're going to look at some of the other things uh, that um, are prescribed for the priests. And of course, as we look at the book of Leviticus, as I mentioned to you last week, that sometimes there are those who say that Leviticus isn't relevant to us anymore today. But as we go through these different offerings, sacrifices that are made, uh, as the Lord has prescribed there in the Old Testament to the children of Israel, we can look at those offerings and we can see how, first of all, points to Jesus Christ, is a picture of Jesus Christ fulfilled by Jesus, those sacrifices. And then also we can see that you and I as as priests, what it, it applies to us. Um, as we look at the different sacrifices that are done, as the person would bring that sacrifice, we can make application, can't we? And of course, uh, Leviticus, um, we see that this this people that have been redeemed out of Egypt, and you and I being redeemed out of the world by the blood of Jesus Christ, it, it shows them, the priests, how they can worship and serve and obey a holy God. And I know that's the desire for us here tonight, isn't it? For all of us. The Lord, that as you call us in First Peter chapter 2, a royal priesthood, that we desire to, to know more how it is that we can serve and, and worship and obey a holy God. And we're going to even see that in these sacrifices because these sacrifices, as we saw last week, there was the burnt offering, wasn't there? And in that burnt offering, that worshiper, a free will offering was presented. It was of uh, one of his flocks. Uh, it was an animal that was without blemish. And they would bring it to the priest and lay their hands on that animal. And we talked about those terms of substitution and transference and what atonement means. But as that worshiper put his hands on that animal, that it would be transferring, if you would, his desire. And that was that, Lord, I want to give all. And then that animal would be consumed completely on the altar, the altar out there in the outer court uh, of the tabernacle there. And so that's where the sacrifices were done. None of the animal was saved or, or held back. All of it consumed. And so the burnt sacrifice sacrifice or the burnt offering symbolize that you and I coming to the Lord of our own free will saying, Lord, I just surrender all to you because 
my love for you. I, I, I want to, to devote myself completely to you. And, and I, I don't want to hold back. I, I want to give you the very best by your help, Lord. And, and just recognizing your goodness and your faithfulness and your grace to me. And so that's what we talked about last time. And so now we're going to look at the grain offering here tonight. As we read in chapter 2, again, in the book of Leviticus, when anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. And he shall bring it to Aaron's son, the priest, one of whom shall take from it his hands full of fine flour and oil with all the frankincense. And the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And verse 3, the rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. And so the grain offering, obviously a non-animal sacrifice, what this offering was, it was an expression of thanksgiving to the Lord, uh, a thanksgiving of God's provision in their daily lives. And of course, it would also speak of Jesus Christ that he is the bread of life that was given to you and to me. And we've been talking a lot about this, haven't we? Even in our studies and, and Sunday morning as we we're going through Matthew's gospel, we saw the feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 14 of Matthew. And then we saw in chapter 15 as we finished that chapter, the feeding of the 4,000. But as we saw that the Lord having compassion on the multitudes, both times in those feedings, it says that the, Jesus looked out on the multitudes and had compassion for them, knowing that there was need and he was bringing healing to them physical healing but also they were physically hungry but he didn't want to just leave them there he yes ministered in the physical realm um, in the in the um, in the material realm but the thing is he wanted them to know that he was the bread of life that came from heaven and as we have discussed it was the day after the feeding of the 5,000 that there in Capernaum the people are looking for Jesus and Jesus said you come because you ate of the bread yesterday and you're hungry again don't pursue the bread that is going to perish but pursue the bread from heaven that endures the everlasting life and then he would make that wonderful proclamation that i'm the bread of life that came from heaven and as you believe in me you'll have eternal life and if you believe in me eat of me and drink of me and again the interesting thing is when jesus was making that proclamation and we're going to see it even this sunday that oftentimes when jesus was speaking in the spiritual realm they were stuck in the physical material realm weren't they they were thinking of the physical. We're going to see that um, this Sunday that it's going to be Jesus that's going to turn to his disciples and say, beware of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And, and the disciples are going, oh, no, he, he knows that we forgot bread. We forgot to bring the bagels, you know. And so they're thinking in the physical, uh, material realm. But you see, Jesus was speaking in, in the spiritual. And we're going to talk about what is the leaven of the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees. And you probably know, as you've gone through uh, Matthew's gospel, you know, the hypocrisy of, of the religious leaders of the day, the, the legalistic burdens they would put on the people. And so we're going to discuss that. But I'm the bread of life. And if you come and eat of me, you'll never hunger. And, and drink of me, you'll never thirst. Uh, and the people are going, what do you mean by that? Eat of you and drink of you. And they didn't understand that what Jesus was talking about was intimacy and closeness and believing in me and, and receiving me. That's more important than the physical stuff, the physical food. And so you would see it when he talked to Nicodemus. You remember in John chapter 3? Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom of God, Nicodemus was the master teacher of Israel. 
And here comes Nicodemus and he says, you know, we've been watching you and I know that you're from God because no one can do the things that you do unless he come from God. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And that must have absolutely floored Nicodemus. He had never heard anything like that before. All of his life he had taught and devoted himself to the keeping of the law and these sacrifices and the Old Testament you know, law that was given to them and, and all these things. He was the master teacher. And all of a sudden he's hearing, what do you mean you must be born again? Can a man enter into his mother's womb a second time? Oh, Nicodemus, don't you know that that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I say to you that you must be born again. The woman at the well in John chapter 4. As she comes and they're talking about water, Jesus began to talk to her about living water. And he said, if you drink of the water here, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I have to give to you, then you'll never thirst again. And she's going, well, you know, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. She's thinking in the, in the physical, material realm. Jesus is talking about, receive me the living waters and you'll never thirst again. And so oftentimes people would, would think in those ways and, and get, you know, the, the material things they would focus on. And unfortunately it happens in the church today. That becomes a priority with people in the church when the Lord desires for us as we talked about last week in the feeding of the 4,000 that the Lord desires for you and for I to feed upon Him to take in of Him and so this grain offering it speaks how Jesus that He's the one as we come and we are hungry and thirst for righteousness that He fills us He is our food He's the one that as we have intimacy with Him we will never thirst and hunger again and I pray that we always remember that as Christians that if you really want to be ultimately satisfied and fulfilled and have joy in your life, just, just enjoy the Lord and, and be close to Him and learn of Him and just continue to abide in Him. And so the sacrifice here, it, it, it was speaking of how it was, the provision was given to the people. It speaks about how Jesus Christ, the bread of life, has provided for us spiritual substance, salvation, forgiveness. Now we have relationship, but also how he provides for us daily as well. And so we can be thankful every day. And one of the things to always remember, too, as a Christian, that we are told to be thankful to God for what he has done, his daily provision, his goodness. And so that's the Lord's desire as Christians that we have a heart of gratitude and thankfulness. And I know this is a little bit early. It's not quite Thanksgiving Eve. And it's a message that we we give on Thanksgiving Eve. But to remind you as we go through the scriptures here and we're at this point that as they would receive, give that grain offering, your daily provision, Lord, we're thankful for that. It was an offering of thankfulness to the Lord. And we know that First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 says, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. We know in Philippians chapter Chapter 4, verse 6, Paul would write, Be anxious for nothing, but with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And maybe you come into this place, and maybe you're just feeling anxious or worried about the circumstances. What's going to happen? We've been talking a little bit about the economy and the uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen, but there's a lot of uncertainty. That's what we hear. Maybe it's personal. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's business. Whatever it might be. But the thing is that we don't have to be anxious as Christians. And I know that things become heavy to us. And, and I, I understand that, that there are burdens that we have in life and there are worries and things like that. But the Lord says, come to me and, and let your request be known to me with thanksgiving. Why can we do that with thanksgiving? Why can we in everything 
not necessarily for everything, but in everything, give thanks to the Lord for this will of God. Because, Lord, I know that you love me. And I know that you proved your love for me as you went to Calvary's cross. And as you went to that place of execution, you were thinking about me. You died for me personally, individually, for all of my sins. And I know that if I can trust you with my salvation and you proved your love, then you love me now and I can trust you with my life. And I know that your promises are true for me and you promise you'll work all things out for good for those who love you, who are called according to your purposes. And so, Lord, I just cast my cares upon you, knowing that you see me and that you hear me and that you know what it is that I'm feeling and that I can just just continue to just put myself under your wings and, and, and abide under the shadow of the Lord uh, and, and abide under the wings of the Lord, as the psalmist would say. And so that's why we can come with thanksgiving. And so every good gift comes from above. We are to be ones that have thankful hearts. And I pray for us Christians that we would never get away from that. That we would never become Christians that we just are full of bitterness and, and full of anger. And I know things happen in life that we can be you know, ones that we become bitter and anger, but give it to the Lord and allow Him to bring that healing to you and have a heart of thanksgiving because He has given us eternal life. He's given us eternal life and forgiveness. And so we can be thankful. We live in a society where our society is becoming, you know, more and more thankless. And we like to murmur and complain and, and, and um, you know, we... We don't like certain things and nitpick and all of this. But may we be thankful because we can be thankful. We are to be the most thankful people that there are because we have Jesus, don't we? And we have so much to be thankful for. And so as we continue looking at this verse four, and if you bring as an offering a grain offering baked in uh, the oven, as we see a description of this grain offering, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. But if your offering is a grain offering baked in a pan, it shall be a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil and you shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. In verse 7, if your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. And then the priest shall take from the grain offering a memorial portion and burn it on the altar. It is an offering made by fire, sweet aroma to the Lord. And what is left of the grain offering shall be Aaron and his sons. It is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. And then verse 11, no grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering to the Lord made by fire. So in this description of the grain offering, it was unleavened cakes. It was to be a, a sweet smell and aroma to the Lord. In other words, as we go to the Lord with the heart of thanksgiving, recognizing, Lord, you provide for me. And that's what we are to, to pray. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And as we receive that from the Lord, as he does provide, Lord, thank you for that. It pleases the Lord when we have a heart of gratitude and thankfulness. But also we see that the, the, the grain offering was burnt before the Lord. There was a remaining a portion of it that would be given to Aaron and his sons, to his family. And the thing about some of these offerings is they would bring the animals and we're going to see it in some of the the animal sacrifices some of it would be held back except for the burnt offering 
but some of it would be held back for the priest. And, and it was a way of provision, a grain offering for bread for the family. Because you recall that as the children of Israel went into the promised land, as we read in the book of Joshua, that the 12 tribes of Israel, remembering that Joseph had two sons, they would be included. So sometimes people get confused. There's really kind of with the two sons of Joseph there, there would be 13 tribes. So 12 tribes would have an allotment except for the tribe of, of Levi. And it was the Lord that came to Levites and said, you're not going to receive an inheritance. That is an allotment of land. But I'm going to be your inheritance. And the reason was, as we saw in the book of Exodus there in chapter 32, as the children of Israel made that golden calf when Moses was up on the mountain and they began to commit idolatry and all kinds of immorality as they rose up to play is what Exodus said you might recall. And so Moses came down and he broke the tablets of stone there. He dealt with the people, dealt with Aaron, and, um, and he said, whoever's on the Lord's side, come to me. And who was it that came to Moses? It was the sons of Levi. And so they came and then they went throughout the camp and 3,000 died that day. And so the Lord said that the Levites, that you guys are going to be ones that are going to be placed at the tabernacle and they, Moses and Aaron, would be at the tabernacle. It was the direct descendants of Aaron that would be the priests. And then the other families of the Levites will see their responsibilities when we get to the book of Numbers in just only a few weeks. But we know that um, that they're the ones that would get their you know, portion, they'd be provided for through these sacrifices, the grain offerings. They would also, uh, through the, the sacrifices, a portion of that would be given because they didn't have flocks of animals. You know, there wasn't any king supers, all right? There wasn't any safe way that they can go to. People had to grow their food. They raised their animals, grow their crops, and, and they would have marketplaces in the cities as they would grow. But, you know, the Levites didn't have any crops to grow. They didn't have any flocks of animals. And so that would be a provision for them. So keep that in mind is a portion of it was kept for the priests. And so we read in, again that uh, in, in addition as we look at these um, grain offerings, there is to be no leaven. And again, as we go through the scriptures, leaven speaks of corruption. It speaks of evil. Uh, we're going to again talk about that as on Sunday. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees is what Jesus said. And in every instance as we look at leaven in the scriptures, as we see that Paul would write to the Corinthian church as there was sin in the church. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump? But purge out the leaven and purge out the sin. And so it speaks of corruption. And of course, in this offering to the Lord, there was to be no leaven. We talked about it in the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But also there was to be no honey as well. And, and honey, the reason was is because it was a favorite thing to use in the sacrifices uh, that the Canaanites would use in their pagan um, sacrifices to the false So God didn't want them to identify with that, which is false um, in their sacrifices. So no honey was to be uh, added, no leaven. And then we also see in verse 12, as for the offering the first fruits, you shall offer them to the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. So again, offerings of the first fruit. Now this is kind of a subcategory of the grain offering. And again, it's a symbol giving God thanks for his provision as they would give of the first fruits. And we talked a little bit out of the feast of the first fruits as they would bring the first fruits of their, their crops and their harvest. And it was thanking the Lord and recognizing how he had provided for them. 
But again, how it speaks to you and to me is that you and I, that we are to give the first fruits of our lives and our hearts to the Lord. The Lord desires that. You know, give me the first fruits. And, and so uh, give him the first fruits of your day as you have a devotion with the Lord, of your time, your resources, your gifts, your talents, whatever it might be. But oftentimes what can happen is, is Christians think, well, I'll kind of give Lord the leftovers. A leftover of my time, my day, my talents, whatever it might be. And it seems like if we're not careful that everything else can become a priority. But the Lord desires the first fruits. Give Him the first fruits of your heart and everything else will take care of uh, itself after that. And so the first fruits is this subcategory of the grain offering. And then we read in verse 13, And every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. And so it was to be a salty kind of, of um grain offering that was to be presented. Um, it included the salt. It reminds me of what Jesus said, that you and I that you and I are to be the salt of the earth, aren't we? We are the salt of the earth. And if the salt loses its flavor, then it will be cast aside and trampled underfoot. So as you think about salt, you know, what does salt do? If we eat something salty, um, you know, McDonald's french fries with salt is so good. Maybe not real healthy, but it's so good. Um, you know, salty chips, whatever. It causes us to thirst, doesn't it? And I pray that as people see our lives, that there be those who would say, you know, I thirst for what you have. And that's why it is important that we witness not only in the words that we speak, but in the way that, that we live our lives. And that's why Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, be an example to the believers. Be an example in, in faith and in love and purity and in speech and conduct. And you see, it goes a long ways. If we, we say that we're Christians and we proclaim Jesus Christ, but we live as the world and, and we uh, conduct ourselves as the world as though Jesus isn't real in our lives, it's a confusing mess, mess, message to other people. And people, they, they say, well, why should I come to Jesus Christ? Because I'm going to be no different than what you are and how you conduct yourself and how you live. And, and, and you're like the world, so... I pray that, that we would witness not only with our words, but the way that we live our lives in gentleness and meekness and, and in love and, 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 and in joy that people would say, you know, there's something different about you. I, I see a peace in your heart. I, I see real wisdom. I, I see strength. It's not a I'm a tough guy and I eat glass kind of strength, but I see a special strength in you. Uh, I see a gentleness. I see meekness. I really see love. Because understand this, folks, the world doesn't know what love is. And that word has been so perverted in our society today. And I pray that they would really see what love is. That we care about a lost and dying world. And that when they look at you and I, they would say, you know, I thirst for that, what you have. And so salt was uh, something that causes thirst, but you think about salt as well. It preserved, and they would put it on meat. They didn't have refrigeration back then and help preserve the, the meat and stuff. And I don't think that we're going to really understand fully, I don't think we can on this side of eternity, how much, a, much of a preservative that we are, that is we, we keep evil from just completely running rampant in this world. 
And, and I think there's some hint a little bit about that in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 when it talks about that he who restrains continues to do so until he's taken out of the way and then the lawless one and, and talks about how the world will receive a deception and stuff. But you and I as Christians, as we are light and as we pray, and that there is an effect on the world that we don't fully understand. So continue to pray. Pray for our nation. You know, we're in a critical time. Economically, we have an election coming up. You and I to be salt. You and I to be light. So pray for our nation. Pray for our leaders. Pray that there would be true revival that would break out amongst our nations. And, and we are to be ones that are engaged in that and stand in the gap. I think about Ezekiel. I was talking to the youth about Ezekiel on Sunday about being the watchman. And, and he would stand, was told to stand in the gap for, for the people. And that's what you and I are to do. Stand in the gap. Be men and women of prayer. Praying for you know our church, our community. Praying for our nation. And I hope that we, we do that. So you can look at salt and, and you can do a study on uh, what salt we use for. There's other things, but we'll continue to move on in verse 14. If you offer a grain offering of your first fruits, again, this is the procedure of the, uh, the subcategory, the, the first fruits of the Lord. You shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits, green heads of grain roasted on a fire grain beaten from full heads and you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it it is a grain offering then the priest shall burn the memorial portion part of it beaten grain and part of its oil with all the frankincense as an offering made by fire to the Lord in chapter 3 and when the, the um, his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering if he offers it of the herd whether male or female he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord and he shall lay his hands on the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and Aaron's sons the priest shall sprinkle the blood all around on the altar and he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering an offering made by fire to the Lord and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fats that is on the entrails and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by flanks and a fatty lobe attached the liver above the kidneys he shall remove. And so Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice, which on the wood, which is on the fire, as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So now we're, we're talking about the peace offering, or it was also called the fellowship offering. And the thing about the fellowship offering or the peace offering, this offering was not made to make peace with God. That is done through the sin offering that we're going to see here in the next chapter. Jesus Christ was the sin offering for you and for me. And so now that as we come to Jesus Christ and as we receive him into our lives, recognize and confess that we're sinners in need of the Savior Jesus Christ come into my heart, then we have the peace of God. We have peace that is with God because of what Jesus Christ did with us. And then this fellowship here, or this peace offering, expresses our peace with God. So the sin offering, again, so we're not confused, it symbolizes that we now have peace with God. And so this peace offering or fellowship offering that now we can experience the peace of God, right? The peace of God that dwells in our hearts because we have peace with God through the sin offering. Okay, so this was a, a fellowship offering. We have peace with God. We experience the peace of God as we come in fellowship with him. And it's a free will offering. Speaking of that fellowship with God. And, and as we see 
that part of it, and we'll get hints of it. And then when we get into chapter 7, it's going to be kind of like the handbook to the, to the priest about specific instructions on these different sacrifices more in detail. And some of the peace offering would be held back. We know um, that this offering could be either male or female, but still without blemish, that animal. But part of it would be held back, and it would be given uh, to the, the the worshiper and given to the priest, and part of it would be sacrificed unto God. And so, uh, as they would eat, the worshippers, the priests, as it was sacrifice given portion to God. When you ate with somebody in that ancient culture, it symbolized a oneness, didn't it? It symbolized a fellowship, is what it did. Intimate fellowship. That's why the the Pharisees were so upset with Jesus when he was eating with Matthew and the tax collectors and, and the other sinners that were there, as we saw in Matthew chapter 9. And it was those Pharisees that came along and said to Jesus, disciples, you know, why does your master, your, your teacher eat with such people? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus knew that it was the Pharisees. He knew what they were saying. He responded that those who are well don't have no need of a physician, but those, you know, who are sick. And he said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners into repentance. And he said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You religious leaders, they knew what Jesus was referring to, Hosea. And Hosea would really feel and know the heart of God and what he experienced as we've gone over that book, Hosea. And it would be the Lord that told Hosea, you know, take for yourself a wife. And he did, and he loved her, and she committed adultery. And, he, and the Lord said, don't, don't stone her, Hosea. Bring her back, forgive her, restore her, and love her. And that's what Hosea did. And she went out and committed adultery again. And the Lord said, don't stone her, restore her, and love her. And, and so he was showing Hosea the heart of the Father. They was looking at a nation and saying, you guys committed a spiritual adultery. But, oh, Lord, how can... You know, the Lord would say, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? And he was talking about how his love remained. And then his love was constant. And so Jose was feeling some of the things that was going on in the heart of God the Father. And that's what I pray that, that, that we would desire, that, Lord, I want to know your heart. I want to know how you feel towards people and towards others. I want to know more of your heart, Lord. So as we go through the Scriptures, it's not just an intellectual exercise that we go through, but Lord, knowing you and your nature and character and your heart, Lord. And that's why he said to those Pharisees who knew every dot and tittle of the Old Testament, you guys may have all kinds of intellectual knowledge, but you don't know the heart of, of God. You don't know his nature, his compassion, his love. And so I pray that we would as, as we do. So that, that intimacy, and of course Jesus would say to the church of Laodicea, that behold, I stand and knock on the door. If anyone opens the door, I'm w- waking up. If anybody opens the door, I will come in and sup with him or eat with him or fellowship with him and, and him with me. That intimacy that the Lord, he knocks on our hearts. Now that's using evangelistic messages, which is fine. But I think it's a message that the Lord desires to give to us all the time, every day. He stands at the door of our hearts knocking. He desires to have fellowship. Do you realize that? He loves to have fellowship with you. He loves it when his children come and speak with him. One of the, the greatest things to any of us as a parent or anything that we experience, or, or maybe it's whatever it might be, uh, those who are close to you, those that you love, 
um, when we see them, we're so happy to see them, aren't we? And to have that fellowship and, and closeness with them. And, and uh, that's a very special thing. And so, you know, the Lord sees us in that way. He desires to have fellowship with us. And that's what this is speaking about here in this, in this um, offering of the peace offering. And so verse 6, if the offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord is of the flock, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb as his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's son shall sprinkle its blood all around the altar. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord. Its fat and its whole fat tail, which he shall remove close to the backbone. And the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails. Verse 10, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire to the Lord. So again, this offering uh, burned for the Lord, uh, some of it held back for food uh, that the worshiper and the priest would eat as well. Verse 12, and if his offering is of a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord and he shall lay his hand on the head and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting and the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle his blood all around the altar. And so um, we see here uh, again um, this uh, offering of a goat, the procedures of it. Verse 14, then he shall offer it from his offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails to kidneys of the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove and the priest shall burn them on the altar as food an offering made by fire sweet aroma all the fat is the Lord's the fat was the best part of the animal so that was given to the Lord and again it, it speaks to you and to me that may we have a heart that Lord I want to give you the very best in my life. I, I want to give you, uh, um, you know, not uh, the leftovers, but Lord, the very best. Um, and um, verse 16, the priest shall burn them on the altar as food and offering made by fires. We read the sweet aroma, all the fat is the Lord's and shall be a perpetual statue throughout your generations. All your dwellings, you shall eat neither fat nor blood. Chapter four, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, if a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done, he does any of them. So here's the sin offering. Now the sin offering was the most significant of the offerings that are here. And, and it speaks about um, this sin offering. And then chapter Five is going to be the trespass offering, but the sin offering unintentionally. Now, sin means missing the mark, doesn't it? An archer, pow, there's an, an, if I was an archer and there's a bullseye back there in the back and I missed it, it's missing the mark. That's what sin literally means. And so there in our lives and in our sin nature, we may be trying our very best, but you know, we sin. We miss the mark. Now, trespass, and, and God forgives us of our sins and trespasses. Um, trespasses is when you know there's a line there and you deliberately cross over that line. And that's going to be spoken of here in the next chapter. But the sin offering, there's a sin offering, as we go through it very quickly here, is going to be for um, the priest, uh, uh, offering of a bullock. Then there's going to be the sin offering of the congregation, sin offering of the rulers, and then the sin offering of the individuals of the nation. And so we read in verse 3, if the anointed priest sins, so this is the, the offering of the priest. He was to bring uh, bringing guilt on the people. Let him offer to the Lord his sin, which he, he has sinned, a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. Now, a young bull um, that he would bring, that was a valuable animal. 
It really was. I mean, that's like having um, a Mercedes or something. I don't know. Very valuable back then. That bull was worth a lot of money and very valuable uh, kind of animal. And so he shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, lay his hand on the bull's head and kill the bull before the Lord. So again, as they laid their hands on the animal, that word transference and substitution, you transfer all that sin upon the animal and then the animal also became a substitute for sin. Jesus Christ, as he died on Calvary's cross, all of our sins were placed upon him and he became the substitute for you and for me. Died for our sins as our sins were placed upon him. And that's the same picture that is given here. So verse 5, Then an anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. So that's that veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place there at the the altar of of, of incense where um, they would sprinkle this blood. And of course, sin, um, it, it symbolized that um, this atonement was making, being made because sin was an offense to the holiness of God. The holy of holies that was there where the Shekinah glory of God was, the tangible presence of God. In verse 8, and you take from it all the fat of the bowl of the sin offering, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat which is on the entrails, two kidneys and the fat is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached, attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove. And as it was taken from the bowl of the sacrifice of the peace offering and the priest and burned them on the altar of the burnt offering. And then verse 11, but the bull's hide and all its flesh and its head and legs, his entrails and offal, the whole bull shall be carried outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn it on wood with fire, where the ashes are poured out and it shall be burned. The ashes were taken outside the camp. Hebrews chapter uh, 13 tells us that Jesus <coughs> was sacrificed outside the city walls. So that reference is made there in the book of Hebrews as well. And verse 13 now speaks of the whole congregation. If the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, then the thing that is hidden from the eyes of the assembly, and they have done something against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which shall, should not be done and are guilty, and then when the sin which they have committed becomes known, then the assembly shall offer a young bull for the sin and bring it before the tabernacle of meeting. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord, then the bull shall be killed before the Lord. So the sin offering of the whole congregation of Israel. And it's interesting, isn't it, that the Bible speaks about how God judges um, not only is there individual, but also corporately as well. Doesn't the Lord, as you go through the Old Testament, that he speaks a lot about judging the nations? He would even judge his own people, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And it's interesting that the elders here would lay their hands on an animal, the leaders there. And it's interesting as well, as you look at particularly Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, that when the Lord was rebuking Israel and Judah for not, you know, for their idol worship and their false worship, not turning back to him, that he would speak oftentimes to leaders, wouldn't he? He said, you leaders are corrupt. Your leaders are leading the people uh, astray. You're not feeding them. And so he talks to the shepherds, to the leaders of the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And he warned them. And so he held the nation responsible corporately. We also see that in Jesus writing to the seven letters to the seven churches. He's writing a message to those churches, isn't he? And that's why those letters are very important for, for us, not only individually to look at, but making the application as a church Calvary chapel. If the Lord was to write us a letter, what would he say? 
as he wrote those letters, he would, you know, he would commend them on the things that they were doing well and that pleased the Lord, but then he would bring correction and rebuke to those things that they weren't doing well. And so I think those letters are so valuable because he's talking to the congregation as a whole. And, and so the Lord, he desires for us here at Calvary Chapel to hear those things and to know. And, and, and there is, you know, as, as leaders here, we have responsibility and accountability that is before the Lord. So not only individually, not only as a leader, as a priest, you and I as priests in our homes, but also we're going to see as a ruler. Um, and, and then also there is uh, corporately or that is the nation here, the whole congregation is being spoke to. But let's finish up verse 16. The anointed priest shall bring some of the bull's blood at the tabernacle meeting. Then the priest shall dip his finger in the blood, sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil. And he shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar, which is before the Lord in the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle meeting. And he shall take all of the fat from it and burn it on the altar. And he shall do with the bull as he did with the bull as a sin offering. Thus he shall do with it. So the priest shall make atonement for them and it shall be forgiven them. And then he shall carry the bull outside the camp, burn it as he burned the first bull as a sin offering for the assembly. Verse 22, if the ruler sins, so now speaking of a ruler, and has done something unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord his God in anything which should not be done and is guilty, or if the sin which he has committed comes to his knowledge, he shall bring as his offering a kid of the goats, a male without blemish, and he shall lay his hand on the head of the goat and kill it at the place where to kill the burnt offering before the Lord it is a sin offering. And the priest, again, taking the, some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, put it in the horns of the altar, the burnt offering, pour the blood at the base of the altar of the burnt offering. Verse 26, And he shall burn all his fat on the altar like the fat of the sacrifice of the peace offering. Again, that was the best of the animal. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin, and it shall be forgiven him. Remember this term, atonement. That atonement, kofar in Hebrew, means to cover. That the sacrifices that they had to do over and over and over again. Can you imagine? Aren't you glad you're on this side of the cross? I mean, they have to bring an animal when you sin. And, and it was really an illustration of the seriousness of sin as you saw that animal being killed. And the, and the blood would be sprinkled. And then the sacrifice of that animal. And so Hebrews declares that all the sacrifices of bulls and goats wasn't enough to forgive sin. It only covered our sin until Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, would come and die for his sins once and for all. And so verse 27, as we finish here tonight, if any one of the common people sins, that is individually, um, of doing something against any of the commandments of the Lord and anything which ought not to be done and is guilty, or if his sin which he has committed comes to his knowledge, then he shall bring his offering a kid of the goats, a female without blemish, for a sin which he has committed. And he shall lay his hands on the head of the sin offering, kill the sin offering at the place of the burnt offering. Then the priest shall make some of its blood with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering, and pour all the remaining blood at the base of the altar. He shall remove all its fat, as the fat is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma to the Lord. So the priest shall make atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. And if he brings a lamb as a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish. And then he shall lay his hands on the head of the sin offering, kill the sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offering. 
And the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering, pour it on the remaining blood at the base of the altar. And he shall remove all his fat, as the fat of the lambs removed the sacrifice of peace offering. Then the priest shall burn it on the altar according to the offering made by fire to the Lord. So the priest shall make atonement for his sins that he has committed, and it shall be forgiven him. And so, Father, we thank you that we have been forgiven because Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, came and died for us. He died for us individually. And so, Lord, we can come into this place and we can plead the blood of Jesus. It's been applied to our hearts and our lives. We are claimed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now we don't have to stand outside that veil.